0: Good, eh? Huh? It's good to see you all. Just before we return we to the scripture, you know, you've been sat there quite a long time. So why don't you get up, just shake your legs a little bit, turn around, give somebody a holy kiss, whatever you want to do. But let's just have a moment of just interaction and giving somebody a nice hug or whatever. Okay, if you finish your kissing and so on, uh, go to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15. Mark's asked me to share about the Bible from the Bible. So here we go. Igniting passion for the Scripture. Can I just say that this is a living book. And I remember as a 14-year-old, I've i told you this before, but I'll tell you it again. I was on the football field, and just uh, so all sorts of pain came up with my body, and fell on the floor, I had to go to A&E. They did tests on me, and eventually found that I had a a malignant growth in my body, and somebody gave me a scripture, and the scripture was this, no one living in Zion shall say, I am ill, Amen. and I believe Zion is a picture of the church, the people of God, and that scripture didn't just become a word on a page, but it became a living force, a living word in my heart, and to cut a long story short, I'm still here, God did a miracle for me, so we, I honor Him for that. But I believe His Word is life to us. And, you know, I would say this, that there's been a kind of liberal pushing aside the Scripture in the church for a long time. It's kind of, well, you know, it's not going to get people excited. It's not like, you know, a move of the Holy Spirit where people fall over. And therefore, we kind of push it to one side. But you know the Scripture is the foundation for what we believe and the foundation for all we do. And the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. The Holy Spirit wrote the Scripture. He inspired men and women to write down what we have as Scripture. It's the foundation that we rest on. I believe that as Christians, the Bible needs to be our final authority. You know, there's too much in our our day, Christians and non-Christians sitting around in groups discussing what they believe on the basis of very little knowledge. Very little knowledge about the scripture, very little knowledge about the world. And we've got to say, well, we value everybody's opinion on everything. Can I say that I don't value everybody's opinion on everything? I value the scripture. And if the scripture does, if the opinion of somebody else doesn't line up with the scripture... The, the Scripture's opinion is more valuable to me. Why? Because this is the heart of God. This is the Word of God. And I know that's not popular to say it, but I really believe that if we're going to see a move of God in our nation, we've got to come back to a foundation where we believe what the Bible says is the Word of God. I believe we've got, we've got to go to that place. It may not be popular, it may not be exciting, but I believe that when you really get into this Word and this Word really gets into you, it can send you on an adventure in life. Let's go to the Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15. I want to share a few things from there. I'm going to read from verse 1. Moreover, brothers and sisters, I declare to you The gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which you stand. Can I say to you, the gospel is not come to Jesus and everything will be all right. The gospel is the word of God. It's the same thing. The gospel is not five steps to give your life to Christ. The gospel is the good news about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. That's the gospel. The whole purpose of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is to reveal the person of Jesus to you and me. Now, I've been involved in discussions with people that claim to be a lot more intelligent than I am, and they make statements like this. They make statements like this, that Jesus is the Logos, so Jesus is the Word, and really the Bible is, 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 is kind of secondary to a personal relationship with Jesus. Absolutely, the Bible is secondary to a personal relationship with Jesus, but the Bible helps you have a personal relationship with Jesus. Do you understand that? The full revelation, the full understanding of what God is like is in Jesus. But there is so much of the heart and thought of God in the Scripture that reveals Jesus to us. So, for example, he goes on in verse 2, he says, By which you are also saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Listen to this, verse 3. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to what? According to the Scriptures. And that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You know, we don't just believe that Jesus died and rose again because we saw it in a movie or somebody wrote a song about it and we think it's a good idea. The reason we believe that stuff is because it's in the Scripture. Yes, there are secular historical records of Jesus dying on the cross, but what carries faith is the record of the Scripture of Jesus dying and rising again. God wants us to be people who don't live by our five physical senses. To live by what we taste and what we smell and what we hear and what we see and what we can touch and what we can measure. He wants us to live by faith. He wants us to live by faith. What is faith? Trusting God. How do we trust God when we don't know Him? Well, we build a relationship with Him by His Spirit through His Word. Not by somebody else's opinion. Not by the latest internet preacher not by the latest fad in society, we build a relationship with our Father by the Holy Spirit through the Scripture. The Holy Spirit will never say anything to you and me that in any way goes against what's written in these pages. He won't do it. He will not do it. And I've heard phrases like, you know, the Trinity is not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. And I completely agree with that statement. But you know what? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are revealed in the Holy Bible. And I don't know about you, but if you, if you ever deal with a man or a woman of integrity, there's a phrase we use sometimes. We say, you can't separate that person from their word. You can't separate that person from their word. And God cannot be separated from the word that He's, he's given in this revelation of himself. He can't be separated from it. You can take a verse in this scripture and interpret it in a selfish, self-centered way for this scripture to say anything we want it to say. But the whole counsel of God in the scripture reveals a Jesus and our response to his love is to give him our all, isn't it? When you read this chapter... It talks about, according to the scripture, we've, we know he's risen again. But later on in the chapter, if you go to verse 34, in the New King James, which is the scripture I'm reading from, it says this Wake up or awake to righteousness and do not sin. The reason why we sin is because some do not have the knowledge of God. It says, Awake up to what's it mean, awake to righteousness? Wake up to who you and I really are. We can't wake up to who we really are, the identity that God has given us, unless we get in this book and find out who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. We we can't do it just on somebody else's opinion. We can't do it just on hand-me-down revelation. You and I as Christians have got to be more than Muslims, people of the book. I'm not talking about the Quran, I'm talking about the Bible. We've got to be people of the scripture. We've you know this 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 bible for hundreds and and thousands of years has been maligned, it's been accused of being an error. I remember just a great uh, true account of the philosopher Voltaire, who was an atheistic philosopher, and he declared that within a hundred years of his lifetime, the Bible would be irrelevant and Christianity would be extinct. He died in 1778. Less than 50 years later, the Geneva Bible Society bought his house, bought his printing presses where he printed his philosophy, and started printing the Bible on them. This Bible is going to, as my wonderful daughter read, all things will pass away, but God's Word will not pass away. Can I suggest to you, we'll still be discussing the Scripture in heaven. There's so much in there. There's so much in there. I remember a a man of God who had a a, a, a kind of vision or he was translated up into the heavens and one of the things he saw was the Apostle Paul in heaven sitting around with a bunch of people discussing the Word of God. I'd love to be in that group. In heaven, that would be kind of a a cool life group by the Apostle Paul, wouldn't it? You don't have to be a word person and not be a spirit person. In fact, God wants us to be full of His word and full of His spirit. He wants us to be both. He wants us to be completely. I'll tell you this sometimes I'm reading the word. Doesn't happen all the time. I in the word. And something hits me of, of revelation. It's like the light comes on. Peter talks about it in one of his letters. I want you to get hold of this word of prophecy until the light dawns on the inside. The light, and I'm like drunk. I'm like, whoa, you know, I'm experiencing physical sensation of being drunk because I'm reading the Bible. I know that sounds strange, but there's an interaction going on with the Holy Spirit as we read this. It shouldn't be a I've got to read the Bible today. Please, if that is you, just don't bother. Be delivered from reading the Bible. If, if that is the mindset and the heart and, and that is the, the, the problem we have, just, just ask the Father, Father, I know you love me. Give me a hunger for your word. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, the best thing about the Scripture is this. It's, it, it's, like, it's like the dietitians tell me with natural food, which I ignore sometimes, which I shouldn't. It, it, they say little and often. You know, sometimes we kind of get condemned because we've gone half a day or even a few days without really getting, you know, meaty time to read the scripture in our life. But you know what? Little and often is powerful. You know, just take a few verses at the start of the day and just meditate on what God is saying to you. If you don't even know where to start in the Bible, start start where it's really personal. Start with the teaching of Jesus. Start in the New Testament and then start with the Psalms and the Proverbs. These are just things that are kind of easy to grasp hold of to start with. And I know some of you have been Christians a long time, but I'll tell you this. I'm finding, I've been a Christian quite a long time, and I'm finding a new joy in the Gospels and a new joy in the Proverbs and a new joy in the Psalms like never before. Finding things that I thought, wow, I've never seen that before. Because there's so much dimension and depth to this book. And just because somebody tells you that's what the Bible says in terms of, well, that's the full revelation of God, can I say to you that we are still exploring the full revelation of God and we're still exploring all that God has to say in the Scripture? Amazing God, isn't He? But I believe this is to be a foundation for us. In the Proverbs it says, if the foundations are destroyed, are they not available or they've been moved away what can the righteous do? You're the righteous. I love the fact that you're meeting in All Saints School. Wow, that's powerful, isn't it? But you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And if, if, if this foundation of believing the promises of God in the Scripture is not in our lives, we, we become inactive, we become passive, we become despondent, we, we kind of just let life happen rather than go for it. But as we get the promises of God, they give us something that the Bible calls hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Okay, turn with me to James chapter 1. And as you're doing that, I'm just going to share a few more things from my notes, if I may. James chapter 1, we're going to read a portion of Scripture from there. But I want to say this, Jesus honored... The Scripture. In fact, when you see, when you read the Gospels, you see this phrase so often, this happened in order to fulfill the Word through the prophet. So, so many things in the life of Jesus were fulfilled from what men and women had spoken by the Holy Spirit before. And Jesus honored the Scripture. At 12 years old, think about this, at 12 years old, He was asking questions, so he had a learning mentality, but he was also astounding with the wisdom he had, the scholars and the leaders at the time at 12 years old. You know, I really believe that sometimes, and I love what you did today, I love how Ben, Ben's got such an anointing to interact with the kids, doesn't he? He's got such a gift to do that. And I love the fact that you're not sort of, you know, lowest common denominator. You're trying to get your kids into the Scripture, because it's, 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 it is so important that we get our kids to know who they are in Christ and who Christ is in them. And when Jesus was in a time of great struggle and temptation, he didn't pull out some mystical magic wand to get rid of the devil. He, he came back at the devil with every temptation and said, it is written. Yeah. He knew the scripture. He he wasn't going to be deceived by the enemy. He wasn't going to be short-circuited in what the purpose that God had for him was. He wasn't going to let that happen because he knew his mission. Why? Because he'd read it in the scripture. Don't think that Jesus, one day, when he was five years old, after he's just had his cocoa pop, suddenly had a revelation. Oh, I'm I'm God. No, he learned. He says he learned obedience. He he grew in favor. Obedience means to hear in the scripture it's not being a robot he started to hear his father through the scripture he started to hear his father through the 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 relationship he had with the spirit and he knew who he was he had to learn and grow in that just as we do but he is the firstborn and he is supposed to bring many sons to glory to the same revelation I don't want to go too deep, but what I want to say is this. If you do a study on the word glory, you also find it's linked with the word thoughts in the Scripture. So, for example, when Jesus is praying for all his disciples before he goes to the cross, he says, he says to the Father, I want the same glory to be with me that was with me before the foundation of the earth. I want that same glory. If you look at that word closely in the Greek, it has has the idea of thoughts. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, 4 that we were a thought in God before the foundation of the earth. What was Jesus praying? He was saying, I'm going to the cross to get my glory back, my children. I'm going to the cross to get them back. And all that was in the mind of Christ, the thoughts was of glory. Glory and thoughts go together. Let me give you another example. John chapter 1. It says this in John chapter 1. The Word, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was, with, was God, and the Word was with God, okay? It then says, later on it says, the Word became what? Flesh. So we could see it, Jesus, the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory. You know the word, Word, there is logos, which means divine thought. So the divine thought was fleshed out in Christ, and that was the glory of God. God wants the divine thought in the Scripture to be mixed with the glory of God in your heart and my heart, the Holy Spirit, and to be fleshed out in this life in a way that's never been seen before. Not just by a few amazing people, but by a whole church that come into the glory of God. So every time you pick up the Scripture, it's not, I've got to read the Bible. It's to let the glory of God in. It's to let the power of God in. It's to let the Spirit of God work on the inside of you. I better get to James chapter 1 or we won't get there, will we? Okay. James chapter 1. Verse 16 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. What a scripture that is. Let's just take that scripture for a minute. This is a really good example of how to read the scripture. You know, with that, that meal that I've just read there, you can go for five years on that meal. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. How am I not going to be deceived? I'm going to think about that. I'm going to meditate on that scripture. How am I not going to be deceived? am I going to take it as a command? I must not be deceived. I'm going around. I've got to be cautious. I don't want to be deceived. No. He's saying, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. When you know you're loved by him, you can't be deceived. When you know you're loved by God, nobody can tell you you're unworthy. Nobody can tell you you're lesser. Nobody can tell you you haven't got a purpose because you being loved means you have all those things. So you can't be open to the deception that God doesn't love you. Mm -hmm. Do not be deceived. Then he goes on, he says this. And the wind's blown my page away. Forgive me. Here we go. Verse 17. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shadow of variation or turning. What an amazing scripture. So no matter what somebody's experience says to you, no matter what somebody's walk through, what we find from that scripture is everything that's good comes from the Father. That means that everything that's not good does not come from the Father. Would you agree with that? Well, you're just taking a verse out of context. I'm taking that verse as another evidence of the entire counsel of the Scripture that says that Jesus is the full revelation of God. And Jesus says only God is good. Yeah. Yeah. And, all, and, and, and Jesus says that the, the, the God as a Father will take, will not, you know, if you, is, is, is un, if when you feel unworthy, will give your son uh, uh, bread and won't give him a stone when he asks for bread, how much more your Heavenly Father? I always seem to get on to this, no matter what I preach on. I could preach on, you know, the eschatology, and I'd still get on to talking about the Father's love. Anyway, we'll, we'll carry on. So let's just skip verse 18, 19, and, and uh, 20, just for the lack, of, for we haven't got time to go into those, but verse 21, let me read that. Therefore, because of the love of God, because we're not under the wrath of God, because We are not, we're we're beloved. He says in verse 21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You know, I hear this a lot in church settings. You know, most people in church have heard so many sermons. They don't need more sermons. They just need to get on and do it. You know what? If you think about it, if you had a meal... Say, say in this room, I'll, I'm sure it's not you guys, but say you don't pick up your Bible from Sunday to Sunday, you come in here and hear somebody speak for half an hour, and that's your meal for the week spiritually, can I suggest that you would be undernourished significantly? No matter if you had that experience, 52 weeks a year for 40 years, you had one meal a week, you would be very, very undernourished in the physical. Even if you went to a special conference in the summer, and you had a couple of meals a day for five days, but then you went back to having one meal a week. No, we need to be in the Scripture ourselves, don't we? But also, when somebody preaches and teaches, we need to be those that, like the Bereans, it says, a group of people in the New Testament, it says that they went away, they listened intently, they didn't dismiss what was said, but they listened intently to what was said, then they went away and looked in the Scripture themselves to see if the things that were said was so. That's a really good thing to do. Never dismiss the word that somebody brings, even if you don't agree with it. But go to the scripture. I've done this loads of times in my life. Go to the scripture. Say, Father, some of that, it was like, you know, family fortune in my heart. But I'm going to go to you, open my heart. Father, if there's something that you want me to receive, I'll go into the scripture and I want to hear from you. Was that right, what they were saying? Was that from you what they were saying? This is a good thing to do. It says, receive with humility the implanted word which is able to save your soul. What is your soul? Your soul is your mind. Your soul is your emotion. Your soul in the Bible is the core of who you are. The word save there is is, is linked with wholeness. So when we receive with humility the word, it's able to bring wholeness to the core of who we are. You know, each one of us goes through life and suffers trauma, rejection, all these things because we live in a fallen world and sometimes people do things to us that are not the heart of God at all and sometimes we do things that are not the heart of God at all and it ends up in pain. But you know, the Lord wants to show you His Word and give you His love through His Scripture in such a way that it starts to heal the inside of who we are it starts to bring healing to those rejections. That when we turn to the Scripture, we don't need to feel condemned. We need to know that God wants to convict us of His love for us before anything else. Amen? It says, verse 22, But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Again, we've heard so often preached, don't just hear the word, do what it says. Amen, hallelujah, do what it says. What does that really mean? Well, to, do, to be a doer of the word, literally, the phrase from the Greek is to be like a poet somebody who's so in love somebody who keeps the word such you know when you come across poets they're a bit airy fairy and artistic aren't they i love them and and they kind of keep everything in their heart they ponder it in their heart they're wordsmiths they love words they love putting words together they love painting pictures with words and that's what being a doer of the word is saying it's not saying glance at the scripture right five chapters done bang off i go no, it's not like that. It's, it's a love relationship with Jesus and His Word. It's being, it's, it's being so enraptured with the love of God and so in love with Jesus that I'm going to receive this as poetry of love into my own heart. And I'm going to be somebody who speaks that over other people, the love of God. That is being a doer of the Word. It's somebody who looks intently into this perfect law of liberty. This perfect law of liberty. You know, the scripture from Genesis to Revelation was never meant to condemn. It was meant to convict. It was meant to convict us of our need for a savior. It was meant to to convict us of our need for a Lord. It was never meant to condemn. You know, a part of the scripture we call the law, and the law was given at Sinai. The Ten Commandments were given at Sinai, weren't they? Some of you will not know what that is. Some of you will. Sinai was a big mountain. Moses got up there, got some stones, gave the commandments, la-dee-da. But basically, <clears throat> what happened was, these commandments went forth, and there was, a, there was a word on the back of these. If you don't keep these commandments, Moses said, that were, these commandments were ministered by angels, by the way, not by the Father, but we won't go there. These, th- so basically, he says, if you don't keep these commandments, you're going to be under a curse, That's what he says. You know that Sinai in the Hebrew means thorns. That's the name of the word thorns. So just fast forward 2,000 years later to the word of God, Jesus on the cross. What did he have on his head? Thorns around his head. And these thorns were not little rosebush thorns, they were big Middle Eastern thorns about that big. And what the Roman soldiers did was place that crown on his head and bash his head with rods so his head would have been emaciated, it would have been cut and lesions all over his head. And this picture, this suffering he went through, he was saying, I am taking on the full impact of a curse of the law from the Scripture, so that when you come to the Scripture, you can fill your mind with the blessing of relationship with the Father. That's what he was doing. So please, when you come to the Bible, don't look to be condemned. Don't look. You know, the Bible says this, it says, even if your own heart condemns you, God or love or the Word is greater than your heart. So come to the Scripture with an an expectation of encountering God's love and encountering His plan and purpose for you. Can can we go for one last Scripture? 2 Timothy chapter 3. We all know it well. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Well, some of you will, some of you won't. By the time we finish, you'll all know it well. Amen. Amen? 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to read... This whole scripture is powerful because it's of an aged man of God called Paul talking to a youngster who was taking on a church of about 65,000 people. And he was passing on his wisdom to this young man. And it's amazing when you read the books of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Paul does not say to this young man, get involved with the latest fad of the time, run with it, and hope that people will join the church. doesn't say that. He says things like this, fan into flame the gift that's in you. Believe in the gift of the Holy Spirit within you. He says this, in season and out season, preach the word. Whether anybody listens or not, your responsibility is to preach the word. So we have all this, these great... Pearls of wisdom from this man. You know, what what this book says to me is the church is about multi-generations. It's about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's about passing on the wisdom of God from the Scripture to the generations. And I tell you, those that are 30 and under, your life will not go the way you believe it should go unless we find ourselves in the Scripture. I have made so many mistakes in life. I don't mind saying that because they're forgiven and they're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. But so many of those mistakes would not have been made if I'd put this as a final authority every time. And we as an older, I'm not saying older, I'm still young. God renews my youth, amen. But those who are a bit older, maybe in their 60s, 70s, 80s, you have so much to pass on. Be- before passing anything else on, pass on a love for the Word of God. Pass on a love for the Word of God. Oh, Father, I'm going on too long here. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Have you seen that again? Wise for salvation, whole for salvation. The Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. God wants us to be wise according to the Scripture. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a lot of stuff today that passes of wisdom in the church that's not. So, for example, in the Proverbs it says, a wise woman builds her house. So the church is the bride of Christ. We need to build the house. A wise builder does not deconstruct the house. Yes. So a lot of the deconstructionist movements across the church, where we stop gathering together, we even stop gathering together in a weekly group, when we deconstruct from congregation, when we go to a lowest common denominator, me down Starbucks with my mate, that's as much church as anything else. Well, I have a problem with that, frankly. I love Starbucks, amen, but I have a problem with that being church. What does it say where two or three are gathered together? Yeah, two or three gather together in my identity, not having a Starbucks. So where two or three gather together in the identity of God for the purpose of God, putting His purpose first, which starts, I believe, with worship and prayer and devotion to Him, that, I believe, is church. Church. So whether it's in a small group, which they never... Can I just say this? When you read the Scripture, they didn't have small groups. The, the biggest cell group was probably around 100 to 150 people because they had big houses they met in. They'd meet in a small front room. And they, had, they met in, from house to house, and they met in temple courts. It wasn't about sitting around and getting everybody's opinion. It was about people wanting to learn and grow and then live out that... Which they were learning from the scripture. I may have become a little bit unpopular at that point, but I'll carry on. Okay. And it says, This holy scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. The word scripture there is 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 graphe. It means marking. Paul is saying, look, the very smallest mark in the very smallest verse. Is so powerful if you take it on board with humility that it's able to make you wise. It's able to give you not just head knowledge, but the ability to use the very knowledge of God to bet the betterment of mankind. These scriptures, these markings, these the very markings on the page, the Bible is not just like any other book. I've heard people say the Bible is a book like any other. You can read Harry Potter and hear from God. No, you may be able to read Harry Potter and hear from God. That's not my judgment to make. But this is not written by J.K. Rowling, Billy Boospoos, Enid Blyton, Charles Dickens. This is written by the Holy Spirit and is powerful from Genesis to Revelation. This is a miracle book. You know, I know. I better shut up in a minute, but I'll carry on for a minute. Revelation chapter 12, it it talks about we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So what we do in church, we say, well, we overcome the enemy by our testimony. Let's have all the testimonies up so we can overcome the enemy. Because when we hear the testimony, it's going to be such a blessing, it's going to encourage people, and we're going to overcome. Well, I believe testimonies are encouragement. I believe that. When you hear what God has done in people's lives, it's so encouraging. But a miracle testimony is not the way we overcome. We overcome by the word of our testimony. Can I say this? When there's no miracle, we still have a word. And as we overcome with the word, miracles will start to flow like never before. As we place our trust in the promises of God, not just in stories about what God has done in Timbuktu, but actually place, place our what God can do in Timbuktu, he can do here in Leeds, what God has wants to do by his promises. If we place our trust in that, we're going to see miracle signs and wonders like we've never seen them before. What does he go on to say? He says, we know it well. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's interesting, it says all scripture is, is given for correction. Yes, we need to get the Bible and tell people what to do. No, it's not saying that. The word correction there means this. It means the Word will take somebody who's been knocked over by life or by the devil flat on their back. The Word will embrace that person and lift them right back on their feet again. That's what the inspiration of the Scripture can do. That's what the grace of God and the Scripture can do for you and me. Stand with me, would you? In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we we love. love.